What's up, people? Welcome back to Rebranding Safety. Today, we're talking all about slip safety, biggest cause of accidents per year. Um, we've got a subject matter expert with us today from a business dealing with slip safety. So we're going to delve right into the minutia of slip safety. And let's not beat around the bush. Let's get straight into the podcast. Health and safety is almost a victim of its own success. We are an oppressive regime of health and safety regulations. A huge fire engulfs a tower block in Children being forced to wear goggles to play conkers at school. Worst oil field disaster, 164 dead. Rebranding Safety, the modern health and safety podcast, crushing the stereotype. Brought to you by Risk Fluent and your host, James McPherson. So we'll get straight into it then. So today we've got Christian Harris, Managing Director of um, Slip Safety Services. Christian is quite well known in the uh, field of slips, trips and falls. Uh, author of a huge amount of educational content subjects are on the subject, both on his website and for third parties such as law firms, magazines. Him and his company lead, um, work with most of the leading insurers, floor suppliers, FM companies, other stakeholders. Um, we all know, all of us know that slips is, is an issue, um, but maybe don't really know uh, that much about it. So today we're going to have a chat about that with a subject matter expert and delve into the detail of it. Um, so Christian, welcome to the podcast. Um, thanks for coming on. Thanks for joining us. Why don't you introduce yourself, give us a little bit of background and we'll get into it. Pleasure, James. Thanks for having me. Um, I'd love to say I grew up always wanting to be a full, foremost expert on slips, trips and falls, but I can't say that's true. So, But no, it's something I've been working in this field for coming up to 10 years now. And uh, so, yeah, I've got quite a, lot of, uh, quite a lot of knowledge, both in terms of the theoretical stuff around it, but also the practical. And that's kind of where I spend most of my time is actually out and about in the field, helping people with um, real life issues on their real life, whether that's, as you said, um, an insurance company, um, a floor supplier, a cleaning company or an end user, um, just getting to grips with the, the problem and trying to find some solutions to reduce their risk. So that's that's really what I spend my time doing. So yeah, keen to um, have a bit of a chat about this and hopefully give um, some of your listeners a bit more uh, understanding about a subject which everybody, as you say, knows about, but probably glosses over a little bit and maybe doesn't realize uh, some of the things the simple things that can be done to make quite a big impact mm, for sure definitely definitely so i suppose if we get straight into it then so like what what's what's kind of the, so everyone knows about slips and trips and what's like the uh, the impact of not managing it so what's what's the the risk of the listeners and business owners not managing it you know how how big is this problem actually is it a problem sure uh, well well, it's definitely a problem, and um, I'll give you some statistics in a sec, but I think the first thing to say, I guess, is we often uh, bunch or end up bunching together slips, trips and falls into a single kind of category. So the first thing that you really need to understand is uh, whether you're having issues with slips or trips or potentially more pure falls. So, you know, a fall is typically caused by a slip or a trip. Um, if you look into it across most industries, slips tends to be about 85% of that kind of category of slips, trips and falls, but it does vary by sector. Um, in terms of obviously, why does a slip happen? I mean, the, the physical nature of a slip is effectively that someone's heel strikes a floor 
and if there isn't enough friction produced between the heel and the floor, then they might slip over quite quite simply. So lubricants and waters and things obviously then play a role in it. Uh, but that's you know that's really a very simple um, explanation of what a slip is. In terms of the, the costs and the impacts, I mean, I suppose there's three things we could talk about. The first is the human cost. So one and a half million NHS bed days per year caused by slips. Um, so one and a half million, you know, nights in hospital. Um, over 300,000 admissions into hospital NHS due to slips. 95% um, of kind of serious slip results in broken bones. That tends to be, the, you know, the most common um, injury. And if you look at it in terms of workplaces, there's one serious slip every three minutes on average in workplaces in the UK. So, you know, there's quite a lot of people getting getting hurt by, by these accidents. Um, in terms of the, uh, the cost side of it, the financial cost, um, there's obviously the insurance elements of this. So all the listeners, I'm sure, will have insurance <laughs> in order to be operating their businesses. Um, <laughs> But, but um, uh, typically, the, the average cost uh, for, for an insurance claim, a personal injury claim, um, as a result of a slip is something like £10,000. And that's, you know, that can vary quite significantly. So, uh, you know, you see a lot of very small claims, but, but, but uh, a fair number of, of very large claims. I mean, I'm aware of at least a handful of claims of over a million pounds due to someone slipping over. Um, and then over and above the kind of insurance cost, in terms of the financial costs, there's the kind of business costs or the hidden costs. And again, listeners probably familiar with this, but HSE has a kind of iceberg model that they use for um, what's the true cost of an accident. And they would say that whatever the insurance cost is, you need to multiply that by something like eight to 36 times was the HSE's uh, view in terms of looking at you know, the, the true business costs. So ranging from replacing staff, you know, temporarily, to administrative costs to look into what's happened, uh, to legal costs, to uh, loss of reputation, loss of business and all these other things. Uh, we've been doing some of our own research on that point in to kind of a very um, select number of health and safety professionals and, and the number that they're coming up with is a bit tighter than 8 to 36. They're fairly consistently something like 10 to 12x. So, you know, if you've got an insurance claim of 10,000, your actual cost of your business is more like 100,000 to 120,000. So add all those things together. Uh, and yeah, it's it's quite an expensive and, and a huge issue, really. But I think one of the big challenges is, is, and I'm sure we'll talk about this, is that there's a perception maybe that doesn't quite match that reality. Um, as I said in the intro, people kind of gloss over it a bit because they maybe see um, pratfalls and um, lots of near misses, and but don't really think about actually when you look at the cumulative effects of, uh, of, of this type of accident, what the real cost is. Yeah. <clears throat> that that probably brings us quite nicely onto an, uh, another question where I've I've said it in a in a re recent podcast and and I've had and I'm sure many others have had conversations around it but I suppose and and you make a good point about it being separated or, or being grouped up together but slips and trips and things like that um, quite often are not considered as significant findings or I've said you know in the grand scheme of things they're probably not significant findings but actually what you're you're saying the figures are stating it is quite the opposite that it is a significant finding so you know how do businesses kind of deal with that so you know they, they do have some big significant findings but then you know when looking at it is is that, is that a significant finding you know and 
if it is, how do they deal with it? When does it become a significant finding? When is it, is it not? I mean, yeah, I, I, I listened to that episode of yours, and I, and I have to say, I don't disagree with you at all, because I think, you know, if you look at, uh, you know, Ram's document for any sort of work that anybody's kind of producing to do, to do on someone's site, they're always going to mention slips, trips, falls um, in their risk assessment. And, you know, is that is that correct or not? You know, you could certainly make a good argument that probably isn't, because, as you say, is that a significant risk? But I think, I mean, look, putting it into context a bit more, um, yes, there are some huge numbers, but that doesn't necessarily mean that, I mean, if you take 300,000 admissions to a hospital every year, yes, that's a lot of people. But if you divide that by the number of people in the UK and then divide it by the number of buildings and the number of days in the year, you know, it, it's not as if um, every building is having um, significant issues with this. And it's, um, you know, it's kind of endemic thing that um, every single, every other person is, is, is slipping over clearly. Um, so I think it's about putting it into context and, and thinking about things pragmatically. I guess in simple terms, if you did some maths, some very basic maths, you know, if you had one um, near miss uh, or one accident, then actually looking at it statistically, um, you're probably above average and therefore maybe you need to look into it in a, in a bit more detail. But I think the, um, in terms of how I would suggest people do a risk assessment, it's actually trying to um, understand the topic a little bit more and then figure out is that relevant to me or not as you say it doesn't it doesn't you know I wouldn't advocate that every single building and every single person kind of goes um, into this topic in as much depth you know as, as somebody who's operating I don't know a leisure center let's say where you've got you've clearly got wet floors that are forcibly wet um, and therefore slips is going to be a big issue if you're operating within a serviced office building and the threshold to your um, domain is um, on the on the fifth floor, you know, how foreseeable is it that your floors are going to get wet other than maybe your, your toilets? So, you know, I think pragmatism is, is, is always the way forward for this. Sips and trips are quite often identify them on risk assessments, be that right or wrong. Um, that's not for us to kind of decide, I suppose. But but I always find that the, the actions to kind of mitigate or the control measures to kind of mitigate the risk of SIPs um, have maybe little to no effect or, or they're a little bit reactive so say get your wet floor signs out so what, what do you think the problem is around that around um, actually understanding how yeah, to that's, manage that risk that's it really I think if, if you if you're going to identify it and say it is a it is a, a risk that you want to do something about that's where actually having a deeper level of understanding comes into it because the, you know everything I see people take quite a helicopter level view and as you say they'll they'll say right well we've got a spillage system and we plonk our yellow floor signs out you know what more, more could we do so mm-hmm. I, i'm often told things well the sign was out or the floor was wet therefore it's bound to be slippery um you know both of those are, are not you know getting into the the depths of, of understanding that you really need so i think if you're going to identify this as an issue that you want to do something about and again in, in lots of businesses that 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 may be but in but in equally in, in, in many perhaps it isn't i think it's actually trying to get a, an understanding of the kind of root causes uh, and then look at you know what's controllable what's reasonably and what isn't because certain things um you can control and you can do something about and other things you know arguably you can't you know if you're a managing agent of a shopping center you know forget slips and trips but you know you've inherited a roof for example um if there's issues with that roof there's not really much you can do about that it's the landlord's problem um, if you're a contract cleaning company, you know, you're inheriting, uh, taking over some aspects of the management of buildings. So you know, there's, there's sometimes limited things that, that we can do, but um, 
there are always things that can be done for sure. Hmm. Yeah, that's that's a really good point. So, would would you say there's just an overall kind of lack of understanding around around um, slips? Have we got? Have we, do we need to improve education around that kind of thing? Yeah, I think that's. I mean, that's what I spend my life doing, really. If anybody um, either does follow me on LinkedIn or wants to follow me on LinkedIn, and I'm sure we'll give the, the plugs later, but the, the vast majority of my content on LinkedIn is is all around education. So helping people to, to really understand, you know, what are the causes, what are the results of not doing it properly, but equally, what are the results of doing things well and, and therefore some of the kind of success stories. I think um, the HSE had a campaign a few years ago called Shattered Lives and that was that was pretty effective. That was quite hard hitting. Um, I think certainly from my perspective, if you look at people like the architectural community and designers, their level of understanding now is much better than it was 10 years ago. And I think if you, you can get um, you know, if you can design out problems in, into new builds or refurbishments, then clearly, um, if you get it right from the outset, you've got half a chance of, of keeping it right. If it's if it's wrong from the beginning, you're fighting an uphill battle. I think maybe there could be something about legislation as well. If you look at the um, some of those uh, NHS numbers and compare them to things like road traffic accidents, um, it's staggering the, the difference in the impact on the healthcare system and the, the, the sort of quantity of people being affected by this but actually um, does the legislation reflect that you know it's, it's very vague um, I think that's one of the challenges it's very vague um, what does safe mean uh, in terms of slip safety um, there isn't a black and white definition of that and, and there are um, people out there that either don't understand it or, or perhaps you could say are um, uh, not wanting to understand it but maybe telling people certain things that aren't perhaps correct uh, in order to sell products or, or whatever so I think that you know cl clarification around that could be good and then I think as I said before it's this kind of perception piece um just just broadly really so can people can we get people to just understand that you know these these can be quite serious accidents the, the cumulative effect is is very serious um, but equally there are some very simple things that can be done to solve this issue at a, a site level um, it doesn't have to cost a huge amount of money um but it's um having that willingness to understand it just a little bit more so that what you're doing is having a positive effect and not a negative effect that mm. would make a big difference i like what you said about like working with architects and stuff like that well that's quite a big um a big part of most of my work's around fire and and that's that's a big target for us is kind of engaging architects and and kind of nipping it in the bud at the design stage which, which proves to be you know much more effective than than trying to deal with it later on um yeah so well i yeah, it's something we do. We do lunch and learns and things like that. And I, I mean, you know, obviously um, you'll you'll know this more than anyone. But after the whole Grenfell tragedy, you know, everybody that I was speaking to kind of slips went off the agenda because fires all of a sudden the number one. And my understanding on that was that the materials used um, for the cladding were obviously massively contributory to the the issue there. And but but equally, the, another um, better specified material could have been used without much, if any, change in cost. Um, and actually that would have made a big difference, obviously, in that case. And I think in, from a slip perspective, it's kind of the same, you know, you can have, uh, having a, a good, well-specified slip resistant floor doesn't necessarily cost you any more than having a, a, a slippery floor. Um, so therefore, if you can understand the environments you're installing floors into, then um, then choose an appropriate floor. Uh, doesn't doesn't have to cost you anymore but as we said earlier it's gonna it's gonna help you immensely to try and mitigate the risk 
Yeah. So I suppose it's kind of understanding like the end user, I suppose, from an architect point of view. So that kind of brings me on to another question, which would be like, what what types of floors or and or businesses, you know, are, are kind of of an increased risk? I, I suppose yeah. is, is prominent everywhere, but you know, what are the what are kind of your, your target audience? I suppose. Yeah. So I mean, we tend to cut it by sector and then by environment. So in terms of sectors, hospitality and leisure, retail, obviously, manufacturing, transport, healthcare, education, um, those, you know, I mean, I know that's almost everything, but uh, <laughs> if you look at the stats, uh, both for the insurers, but also look at where we kind of do most of our work, it tends to be in those sectors. Um, but then if you kind of go down a level deeper than that, you think about environments. Um, so forget what sector you're in, but have you got an entrance area? If you do, is it foreseeable that that entrance area might get wet or contaminated? Well, possibly, or if not, probably. Um, have you got a washroom or toilets? Um, if so, is it foreseeable that that floor might get wet or contaminated? Yes. You know, and then obviously there are, bit, there are environments where you've got much greater risk, um, which is evident, such as you know, swimming pools, showers, um, hotel bathrooms. I mean, bathtubs and, and shower trays is a massive issue because if you look at the shower tray standard the european standard um it actually explicitly says that shower trays are slippery um mm. but yet they're being used by uh, barefoot people when they're wet so you know that that's a big that's a big issue there uh so yeah it's it's it can, it can affect you know most sectors but so that's why we try and look in, into environments and uh, i mean if we're going out and doing a, a survey and doing some testing and stuff in a hotel for example you know the ideal scenario for us is that we look at all these environments and actually what we find is a lot of them are absolutely fine um, but some of them um, are not so good and that's where we can actually that, that, that that's the best scenario for us to be able to educate the, the customer because if if we turned up and everything was um, horrendously slippery based on the testing you might get a few sideways glances and um, wonders about whether you're you're you know being accurate in your testing and your assessments and things but um, if we can go and show well look here we've we've looked at your kitchen and because of the the flooring and the and the slip resistance of the flooring and the, the regime you've got and the footwear and all these other things actually you're you know we think you're doing really well there but in your you've got some particular issues uh, you know that 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 is a, a quite a, a good approach to take and um Typically, what we find is yeah, that there's always there's always something that can be done in in, in, in some area of, of a building. Um, but but again, as we said earlier, it's about identifying the needs um, and, and doing that kind of initial risk assessment. Yeah, I was just about to say essentially what you're talking about there is, is doing a risk assessment. It's just kind of looking at your undertaking and just having those discussions with your team. It doesn't necessarily have to be written down, you know. It, you, but you're you're having that kind of conversation. So what what so if you if you're going to kind of do that risk assessment what what the kind of causes of slips what are the common causes of slips then? so so there are you'll have to forgive the uh, the um alliteration because we've got slip safety services and then there are actually six um sources of slips um <laughs> but we, we, alliteration works quite well um because it's memorable but yeah there are six things um to, to look at really so and you know th this is not me um coming up with this on my own this is also supported by hse um you've got the floor You've got contamination on the floor. You've got the cleaning of the floor. So in other words, 50% of the thing is, is, is all around the floor and what's on the floor. You've got environmental factors. 
uh, you've got people factors and then you've got footwear. So any um, sensible risk assessment that is going to start going into some of the detail around slip safety is going to be looking at and considering all six of those factors. Some of them are obviously going to be relevant all the time. So, you know, as we said at the start, in order for someone to slip, you've got to have a, a foot touching a floor. So the floor is always going to be relevant and therefore the contamination and cleaning of that floor will always be relevant. Um, the, the foot is always going to be relevant, but is footwear relevant always? Because if, you, if you're operating a fast food restaurant, for example, you might have a PPE policy whereby you can control the footwear your staff are wearing, but you can't control, obviously, the footwear that the members of the public are wearing. So within footwear alone, you might have two different approaches um, between staff and uh, members of the public. Um, that could even be taken a stage further because if you've got um, uh, a swimming pool, you've got your staff um, in the changing rooms, let's say, you've got your staff wearing, uh, potentially wearing footwear that you're specifying or recommending or providing. Then you've got um, people coming in with all sorts of different footwear on their feet. And then you've got barefoot users as well. So um, again, fair bit of depth. Environmental factors um, is an interesting one. And, and some things can and can't be controlled you know of course that means if you're looking at an external area in um uh, i don't know cairo uh, where you've got probably 11 months a year of, um, of very hot weather and very little rain versus in say manchester where you've probably got um, nine months a year of rain then um that, that that would come under environmental but it also means things like steps and stairs and slopes because we need more friction on a slope than on a flat surface people factors obviously are people pushing, pulling, carrying? Um, are they distracted? Um, can you be really controlling what they're doing? Um, so, you know, there's a lot of depth that can sit behind all of all of these um, six sources. Uh, and um, that's kind of the, the risk assessment approach that, that we take. Uh, and obviously, where we can, we will try to quantify um, factors within those six to, because I think, you know, the maximum of what gets measured gets managed is is um is definitely ripe in this area didn't cool. realize it was this decent did you <laughs> <laughs> uh, I, i'm tending to learn over the years that everything is more detailed than what you think it is yeah um yeah i, I just thinking as you were talking i remember back to um when before because like you i never dreamt of being a health and safety professional when i was at, at school um so i uh, went into catering for a short amount of time and um in our training they had this case study and I can't remember what it was and um, but I can just remember the video that they showed us of uh, it was a young female chef carrying this vat of boiling hot water which to be honest is common practice in a lot of kitchens like when you you're draining the bain marie or something like that or it could even be oil and just to walk in to put it down the sink or wherever you're going to put it and slips and the whole that just goes over them and, I, and I, I vaguely remember she survived but i'm not sure but i can just remember that that reenactment they'd done in this video i was just wondering do you, do you get much work from catering you know is there is there a lot of buy-in from that industry just out of my own personal curiosity really um that's a sector that obviously has quite fundamental challenges in terms of its marketplace as in it's hugely competitive and it's very much price driven and therefore um, costs are uh, always looked at quite carefully. So I think anything that they're having to do that they weren't planning to do, even if it is around safety, 
um, is always going to be a bit of a challenge. Um, saying that, you know, we, we, we do have um, clients in that sector that are doing some good things. And actually, one of the one of the benefits, I think, from some of the work we can do for the likes of a catering company, but it, it also could be um, a, a generalist cleaning or FM company, or it could be a managing agent of a building. Um, with doing some of this testing that we can do, we can actually, you know, fundamentally, if we're testing the slip resistance of a floor, we're trying to ascertain is what's the inherent level of that um, slip resistance of that floor, as in, was it specified correctly or not, as in, you know, from a slip resistance perspective. And if you're a, a catering company and you're operating someone else's kitchen and you've just taken it over a few months ago um, and actually the floor was handed over to you in a very slippery and, and arguably unsafe condition you know you should theoretically be able to kind of push that back up the chain and, and any rectification works that should be needed to be done to that floor to improve it you know wouldn't have to be borne by the cost of that wouldn't have to be borne by you so you know that that is something that we always encourage people like that who are taking over management of buildings to kind of get some um, some slip testing done but it could equally be some some of the fire stuff that you guys do as well i'm sure um but but i try and have a benchmark of where where the building was when you took it over because if you then find problems um they're not your issues to solve necessarily so you can try and uh, get them solved with the help of the client and that, that takes away some of those commercial pressures that we talked about yeah that's a good point uh, i suppose you know in essence at the end of this podcast hopefully you know listeners will be able to just be aware of the questions to ask i always say from a fire point of view it's not it's not knowing the answer it's just knowing what questions to ask so you know just get yeah. in a, a slip test or something you know, um done so you can ask the question you know what are you going to do about this otherwise yeah. i'm not going to buy the property so so how would how would you kind of quantify like the risk from slips then uh, if you think about those six factors then the floor as we said kind of makes up about half of it so to do that, um, which is what we do kind of day in and day out, we use a contraption called a pendulum test. Uh, and that's exactly the same method of testing the HSE would use themselves. So for example, in, I think it was 2015, um, this is all in the public domain, so I'm not saying anything untoward. There was a, a gentleman that slipped over in a co-op store in Truro. And he, um, it was one of those you know, what possibly could have been perceived as cockle um, slips where you kind of lose both feet and, you know, it looks quite dramatic. But unfortunately, he banged the back of his head and he um, actually died as a result about 12 hours later or something. So um, you know, the HSA obviously were informed, um, or whether it went to the council and then the HSA, I'm not sure. But anyway, somebody from the HSL in Buxton went and did some slip testing with the pendulum. Uh, and then I was actually called in um, to to have a look for for the co-op at that time um so i was there about a week after after them so um that you know that that's the test that you know in in the event of anything serious happening such as a prosecution which that did lead to again all, all in the public domain or any sort of enforcement um if the local authority is going to take it you know far enough to get somebody from buxton hsl involved that's the test they're going to use. There are there are other tests in the marketplace that you can use, but that's that's the gold standard. So that's what we use. So yeah, so you, you can actually quantify, you know, how slip resistant the, the floor is or not. Um, again, going back to what we said about a foot and a floor, we standardise through the testing the foot. So therefore, all you're learning about is the floor. Um, the machine is called a pendulum because it swings, and perhaps we'll do a, a video link in the show notes or something. Um, so people can, can have a look at it um, but uh, it, it swings like a pendulum it strikes the floor and it, 
pushes a pointer to, to a number on a gauge and essentially um, the higher the number the more slip resistance you've got um, and you can actually correlate the pendulum test value in the PTV to a risk of an accident so if you have a score or a PTV score of 24 then um, there's a 1 in 20 kind of risk exposure whereas if you've got a PTV of 36 it's 1 in a million um, so you know, just by doing that, you can actually start to understand a bit more rather than, you know, rubbing your foot over the floor or looking at it and saying, oh, that looks a bit shiny, that might be slippery. You know, let's actually get a number on it. Then we can look at what can we do to improve it. So, you know, if the floor is um, fairly slippery when it's wet and it's in a foreseeably wet environment, well, then we're thinking, what are the control measures and what are the real root causes? So we're trying to figure out, is that caused by contamination, for example? So quite often... You can find a floor that is slippery when it's wet, but if you clean it effectively, uh, and I stress effectively because um, you can clean a floor uh, aesthetically to make it look clean, but not necessarily to remove every single bit of um, residue and contamination, and therefore it might still be slippery. Um, but you can improve the slip resistance that way. And the good thing with the pendulum is because it's something you can use on site in the real world, you can test the floor as it is right, well, let's clean it and let's test it again. Has that made any difference or not? And again, you're starting to build a picture up of um, evident um, work that you're doing to, uh, to to try and reduce the risk. Um, things like footwear can, can also be quantified, so that's not quite as straightforward, but there's a HSE scheme called GRIP, so you can actually quantify um, the effect of, of footwear on it. And if you use footwear, good footwear, well-specified footwear, um, in my experience, you can reduce your accidents by... 60-70%, um, but there's a lot of footwear out there that people will talk about safety footwear and that doesn't actually include anything really robust at all, all about slip resistance of the footwear. So yes, you might have steel toe caps and ankle protection, but it might be quite a sole that doesn't give much friction. So you, you could be solving one problem and causing um, another type of problem. So yeah, where we can, we try to try to quantify this because again, if it's, if it's kind of shown scientifically, um, then that's going to be easier for people to um, to take in. And also it's easy then to monitor and look at kind of a maintenance plan of, of you know, your, your floor safety. Yeah. Does, do, those, do those kind of values come in on like purchasing floor? Is, is the manufacturer of flooring held to like the kind of standard? Or yeah. Something so, to that? So, yeah. So again, I think along with what we said about the architectural community earlier, um, this has improved a lot over the last decade and nowadays you will see in the majority of um, professional flooring, um, commercial you know, flooring um, suppliers or, or um, uh, uh, distributors, you will see uh, some, some pendulum test uh, data to help you to, to try to specify. There are, there are some other, um, you, you sometimes come across um, what's called R ratings. Um, so say R9 or R10 or R11, that's a European standard and it's very broad brush and not very robust. So we'd certainly recommend people don't, um, don't specify on that basis. I mean, to give you an idea, an R9 is often thought of as a slip resistant floor, but what people don't know is there's nothing, there's no such thing as an R8. Um, an R9 is basically entry level and um, an R10, which is um, the, the range of an R10 on a pendulum is between something like 22 to something like 33 so it could be very very slippery or it could be actually not too bad um, but you don't know because it's just in that broad category so that's why um, here in the UK the HSE uh, 
would 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 say they should be in the, the pendulum testing. It's always worth getting a test, you know, um, once you've installed some of the floor um, before you hand it over as well. The other thing I think is, you know, you will see changes of, of floors. So wear will change floors, cleaning will change floors. Um, if you seal a floor, that's going to change the resistance potentially. So all of these things can can play a role. And, and... so um, you mentioned you've done quite a lot of work with the insurance industry. Then, and what what's their kind of view and approach on on slips and cushion? Uh, insurers see this and they know this as their biggest cause of claim and biggest cause of accident in in most cases. So typically it's about a third of claims by volume and a third of claims by value. So they're spending a hell of a lot of money on accident claims and therefore they're keen to reduce this. I mean, my experience with insurance companies is they want to defend claims, but they're often not given the ammunition to do so by their clients. And of course, there will be, um, you know, pragmatic commercial assessments done all the time in terms of, you know, even if we think that we sh uh, could defend this claim, if it's going to cost us 10 grand to defend it, whereas we could settle it now for, for £2,000, then they probably would settle it anyway. So you've always got to bear that in mind. Um, but yeah, they, they certainly are keen to to reduce it. And, and most insurers have a kind of a risk management division, I suppose, for want of a better term. And they tend to look at this kind of stuff um, in two ways. So the first is they'll, they'll fund some activity through risk management bursaries. Uh, so, for example, a recent project we've done for a big cleaning and FM company was in um, five airport terminal buildings where we went in and we did a really thorough um, slip safety survey, uh, all the testing and looked at all these factors we, we touched on earlier, uh, did, did some reports with some recommendations, did some training, and then actually even did some kind of anti-slip works uh, in, in, in the terminal buildings as, as well. And every single penny of that was funded by the insurance company because their view was you know, this, this activity is going to make it less likely that um, someone's going to slip in the future and therefore we're going to get a claim through. So it didn't cost the cleaning company anything, didn't cost the airports anything, uh, fully funded by the insurers. So, you know, I'd certainly recommend to anybody listening that they have that conversation with their broker or insurer, whether it's about slips or whether it's about something else. But actually, again, ask the question, you know, do we have a risk management bursary available to us? Uh, might we be able to use it for X, Y and Z? Um, that that tends to be either fully funded up to a certain amount or, or match funded. So in other words, if it's going to cost £100, um, we, the insurance company, will pay £50 and you, the client, pay £50. Um, they, they quite like that approach because I think if someone's got some skin in the game, that does encourage them to take things a bit more seriously. Um, and then it, another way we've seen people, insurers, uh, deal with this kind of issue, which is a bit more draconian, is where they have kind of almost insisted on certain things being done. So I can think of an example with a, a college that had quite a significant issue with um, people slipping over and they got to the point where they were going to uh, have their insurances renewed, but they basically couldn't get terms from any insurers. Um, nobody really wanted to insure them because of the, uh, the past history. And their current insurer, um, who, who we work with, um, I don't think there's a strict legal obligation to carry on insuring them, but I think there's a gentleman's agreement to, that if somebody can't get insurance from, from someone else, you wouldn't sort of close them down by not giving them insurance. So but what they, what they were able to do was say, well, look, you know, your insurance, and these aren't the real numbers, your insurance um, uh, last year was, was 20 quid, and we're now going to charge you 100 quid, um, knowing that 
they were kind of stuck but what these guys did rather than just be um draconian like that was they said um we are going to increase the premium however uh, if you bring in this expert um and by the way we'll pay for their time to come and do the survey so that doesn't cost you anything uh, but if you implement the recommendations that they give then we'll restore the premium back to the previous year's level so yes that did cost them some money because actually in this case they had floor surfaces that were not great in in and around their entrances um, but actually when we did that work um, they got their insurance uh, restored back to the level it was before and they basically eliminated their accidents so you know going forward that was a really good um, outcome for, for the clients uh, because um, even though it did cost them some money up front it cost them a lot less than it would have done had they had the same level of claims going forward bearing in mind they had an excess first 10,000 or whatever it was of every claim so you know every claim was costing them 10 grand I think the work we did was about 15 grand uh, and they were having um, I think dozens of claims a year so um, you know that was that was a good example of where the insurance companies will uh, engineer some reduction in risk in a, in a slightly more robust way what, what we've not yet seen is anybody saying um, you know if you do x your premium will reduce by y percent i think that's because it's not quite as linear as, as that but certainly if you look at the what makes up an insurance premium it's all about your past history uh, and the perceived risk going forward so if you can demonstrate that you've taken quite concrete steps to reduce um whatever the accident category is that is causing you the biggest issue historically then that's going to impact your insurance premium in a positive way yeah, that, that's really that's a really interesting story for a couple of reasons. Um, my my um experience with them with like dealing with premiums, like you said, with or be, being able to say, oh, if you do this, we'll reduce it by ten percent or something like that, is that the insurers need something tangible, like you say, like a track history of slips um, within the business. So then, if you fix that, we've got something tangible to say that there will be a reduction in your premiums. And I mean, when I did quite a lot of research around like the installation of um, automatic suppression systems in in residential accommodation post Grenfell, and um, there was a lot of companies saying we'll reduce your premiums by ten percent, or it will guarantee reduce your premiums by ten percent. And when talking to insurers and insurance experts, they're like, it's not, it's just not possible unless mm. you do it because as a result of a track history, something that's tangible within your business that we can measure, then yes you'll get an induction uh, a reduction in premiums and actually when talking about suppression systems if you don't have that something that's tangible you're actually just adding another asset to the building so actually your premiums could have gone up in theory mm. um so so that was yeah interesting i also quite like it because i think in, historically insurers have got a bit of a bad rep for demanding a gold standard for very low risk properties whereas those examples you're giving are quite proactive quite pragmatic um and, and they're working with their clients as well, which is nice to hear. Yeah, I think, look, I think you're always going to get some on the other end of the spectrum. But I think um, increasingly insurers are seeing risk management as a differentiator as well, because it is a competitive market for them too. And if they can have a relationship and build a relationship with clients and actually help them to reduce their risk profile, Firstly, the insurance company is going to hopefully make more profit than they thought they were going to based on the premium they'd set if there's less accidents, fewer accidents. Uh, and of course, they're hoping that they're going to then be perceived in a really positive light by the clients and therefore that becomes more of a long-term relationship. 
So I think, you know, there's definitely an appetite out there to work proactively and in partnership with, with the clients. But again, it's, uh, it's, it's having, it's the clients having the, uh, the understanding, the knowledge of that to ask the right questions that can kind of uncover things. So, you know, one of the questions we always ask is, who's your insurance company? Uh, who's your insurance broker? Are you aware of risk management bursaries? Have you used any risk management bursaries? We know that if they haven't, then actually from from a, from the client's perspective, it's very, very likely that they can probably get our initial work done for basically zero cost. So again, it's a, it's a, it's a total no-brainer for them. And if we can help them to do that, then that's that's good for us as well. So I suppose to kind of tie it up, what, what are the kind of what what are, let, let's go for six kind of top tips then for the listeners to kind of take away to put in action for their business um what what from your expert opinion would they be keep the alliteration going <laughs> we uh, we have we uh, this might just be luck james we actually do have a six step kind of model that we take clients through and that's kind of our our value proposition i suppose in terms of how we help people so um yeah we do a lot of education and stuff to, to raise the issue but in terms of um you know how we could actually help some of your listeners if they want if they felt they needed some help it's really working through a six-step model so the first point of it is is about measuring and quantifying um so again um if you, if you don't measure something how can you manage it you can't manage a business without measuring your um income and your expenditure um point two is then about understanding so that's where kind of some of the points that we've talked about today will will come in um, but, but, but in a lot more depth and in a more kind of bespoke way. So really understanding what are the root causes for you in your building uh, or your buildings or whatever it is that are, that are causing you issues. Um, the third piece is about improving that. So in terms of what we do to, um, to, to commercialise and generate revenue in that regard, it's around helping people with uh, making their floors safer quantify be safer by you know cleaning them or treating them better or whatever it might be um so get try and make things better um number four is maintaining that standard so it's all well and good saying um you know it's all well and good saying right i'm going to buy a new car uh, but if you never mot your car and you never service your car and you um uh you don't change the tires and you never clean the interior you know, within a period of time, that, that, that lovely new car is, is not really going to be giving you what you're expecting it to get from it. So um, maintenance of that is is really important. And again, we, we can hold people's hands and, and help them with that um, through number five, which, which is monitoring. So, you know, let's actually uh, come in once a year, which is what the insurance companies that we work with tend to recommend and do kind of an MOT. So, you know, we've identified a problem, we put in a, a resolution We've come back after a year and, and tested it again. We've got another, you know, recertification of the floor, uh, and that leads into the sixth point, which is which is evidence. So, um, you know, there's two sides to this, as there is of all kind of health, safety, and risk management. There's, there's, can we prevent accidents from happening, and then can we defend claims? Um, and a lot of the work, upfront work, is about trying to prevent accidents from happening. But the sixth point is is evidence, and you can do great stuff. Uh, from a health and safety perspective, but if you can't actually prove that you've done it when it comes to a court case or a claim, you're, you're probably going to be in a, in a bit of a bad position. So actually being able to evidence what you've done and prove that compliance is uh, is really important as well. So I think, you know, I would, um, yeah, that, that's that's kind of the model we work through with people. I think, you know, if anybody is interested um, and feels they might have some issues, you know, that we can we can work that through with them. And, um, you know, those, those would be a good some good six steps to take for sure 
to focus on. Yeah, so let, let's say so let's say some listeners are listening to this and but you know what? Yeah, we have got quite a lot of slips and trips and falls, even if they are grouped together. Um, yeah, um, we wanna we wanna engage with slip safety services. You know, yeah. Do you wanna do you wanna just take us through? I suppose your six tips are kind of what you what you would do in in the offset, but like what yeah. you do with your customers, how you work with your customers, and ultimately what slip yeah, safety yeah. services provide. Sure. Well, what we've done, uh, something new we've just developed, and um, actually I was, I'm going to use the, uh, the listeners to road test it, if that's okay, is, is a, um, a scorecard. So what we've done is we've basically uh, put together a, a survey, for want of a better term, which has got 40 yes-no questions in it. And it'll take you about 10 minutes maximum to complete. Um, and it basically, the, the, the questions divide into those six sources that we talked about. So floor, cleaning, contamination environment people footwear um and the output of this is a, a kind of a, a personalized report which is fairly detailed um but it actually goes through all of these the six sources it gives you your score benchmarks you versus best practice gives you some tips on what you can do to improve and loads of other content and that's a really good starting point because that gets people you know, within within 10 minutes of uh, of time to do it and, and another you know let's say half an hour uh, to uh, to read the report and try and digest it yeah, you've got a hell of a lot of information there and actually you've got a good starting point saying well look where do i sit on the on the scale for all of these things uh you know from there um we can go into to, to more detail um we we do um 15 minute kind of strategy session calls which you can book with me to kind of run through stuff as well um there's a huge range of um, content on on the website, on LinkedIn, and things like that as well. But I think you know, if if, if listeners are, are interested, I, I would um, suggest that they go down that route. And we've we've actually set it up on um, www.slipsafety.co.uk/riskfluent. So if you go to that URL, um, it'll take you to this scorecard, uh, and then fill that in. You'll get a report. We can then have a follow up conversation, and we can kind of go from there. So you know, that would be great if if any listeners are keen to do that. Awesome. Well, we'll definitely put that link in the description. That's amazing. Thank you. No problem. No problem. So I suppose that, that's the place to go if they want to get more information and your website, uh, hit, hit you up on LinkedIn as well. As, as you said earlier, you're quite active on there. Yeah, so the website is slipsafety.co.uk. Um, Twitter, we've got um, the company one is slip underscore underscore safety. Uh, annoyingly, had to have two underscores to make it work. Uh, or my personal one, uh, Christian H underscore SSS for Slip Safety Services. And then LinkedIn, yeah, I mean, if you if you uh, search for me on LinkedIn, you should find me. But if you want the direct URL, it's linkedin.com slash Christian dash Harris dash Slip dash Safety. So, yeah, if, if people um, give us a, a like and a follow, then, yeah, there'll be, you know, pretty much every day um, there's something fairly detailed by me on LinkedIn. And then the the Twitter has some of that, but also some other industry stuff. Um, there's also loads of good photographs of some of the kind of before and after kind of deep cleaning work that we do. Which um, I mean, I had one post recently which got something like forty five thousand viewers and nice. three hundred comments, which, which was like a nothing to do with um, safety as such. It was it was a, a sort of test area. I did deep cleaning some really disgustingly dirty tiles in a leisure centre. But um, <laughs> yeah, so yeah, we're quite active on there and. Uh, Obviously, you know, once we're connected, you can you can reach out to us and uh, ask us any questions that uh, that you might have. Yeah, that's awesome. That that's been actually really interesting. Like you said earlier about it's something that you deem to be quite simple turns out to be 
you could go on and on. And I suppose you could go on talking about slips for another few hours, I bet, couldn't you? I probably could. Yeah, I'm actually <laughs> I'm, I'm I'm thinking about doing a book. I've not committed to I've not committed to writing a book, but I sort of in my mind I think I have, but I've not publicly said I will. But um, yeah, there's a ton of there's a ton of um, there's a ton of stuff really. Um, and what's even more interesting, I suppose, is that. It, it, it will be, it, and it has to be bespoke, just as any proper risk assessment has to be bespoke to, to the environment that you're dealing with. So, you know, what's relevant to someone else might not be relevant to, to you. Yeah. Um, yeah, there's there's a lot more uh, detail we can go into. As I say, if anybody's interested, then happy to uh, happy to have a, a, a conversation with them and, and come and see them and see what we can do for them. Awesome. That's been absolutely awesome. Thanks, Christian. Pleasure. Well, guys, that was the first episode of Ask the Expert. So this is the beginning of hopefully what will be a mini series within our series that will just keep going on and on and on, um, essentially interviews with experts. What a way to start. Christian really does know stuff about slip safety. Apologies for the quality of the audio through it. It dips in and out. I have edited out as much as it much as I could but you know what it wasn't too bad um compared once I took all the cuts out so I just decided to roll with it and the quality of the conversation we were having um kind of worse of risk um so yeah be sure to check out all the links in the description especially uh the risk fluence specific website so i will drop all those links in the description thanks for listening guys um don't forget to quickly follow christian on linkedin because if you didn't learn anything today you will from follow him following him on linkedin so yeah don't forget to do that i'll catch you next week next week safe bye